So last episode, we premiered the podcast, uh, and I think it was a great success. And I think we should uh, continue doing it indefinitely. Yes, I, th- I thought it was really successful. Um, it went really well. And it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And I think that was down to the fact that we have quite a small listenership to this podcast. Um, and that made the live chat um, manageable. Like it wasn't like there was a gazillion messages whizzing by and you couldn't really interact. Like it was a real yeah. good opportunity to just have have the chats while listening to me, uh, to my verbosity uh, on this show. Um, so yeah, I really, really, really enjoyed it. So we're going to do that as standard from now on, folks. The podcast will premiere every single time. Um, one thing that came up uh, during the live chat of the premiere was that people um, want a clarification about Artifacts in Book Club in terms of spoilers and content. So loads of people are asking, um, oh, like I haven't read the book, uh, the fifth season. Uh, can I stop now or will there be additional stuff after the book review? Um, just want to put it on air to make sure we're all clear. Um, we're never going to record any additional content after a book review. So if you haven't read uh, the book, you can just stop the episode right then and there and you're not going to miss anything. Um, that's a hard rule. We're not going to break that ever. Yes. Uh, we'll, we'll keep reminding it during the episode for, for new listeners or, or anyone who, who has missed it previously. But um, yeah, I, th- I think that's that's wise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um and oh, on Artifacts and Book Club, one, one other thing on that is um, people have been sending in um, suggestions for Book Club. We'll talk about that in the green room later. Um, I just, if, just for the sake of my logistics, if people could submit their suggestions via the form that's going to be linked in the show notes, because again, we're getting them some in Reddit, some in email, some on the form, and it's just kind of all over the shop. So if you have a suggestion, uh, the form will be linked in the show notes and stick your suggestion in there. And it just makes it so much easier for me to manage, um, mm-hmm. if that's okay. Thank you, folks. Cool. All right. Um, so that was that, Boyo. Uh, we have two things in in email that I, I would like to bring up. And one of them is a message for you, Bill. Um, oh, attention. <laughs> Ian Orr asks, uh, love the most recent podcast, but I have a question. If Orzelk are bears with antlers, how do females look? Would they be identical to a bear, or would they be differentiated? Um, I'm going to say that they also have antlers. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Any biological reason for that? Uh, it's cool. <laughs> Rule of cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure there are there are examples of um, of antlers on. Maybe not. I hadn't thought about it really. What about on on giraffes? You know, what, what are the the bone protrusions giraffes have? What are they called? No idea. Um, I'm, I'm going to check that out. Uh, ossicones. Yeah, yeah. They all giraffes have ossicones, I think. Um, so I don't know. I'm going to just Google that really quick. Antlers on female creatures. Uh, reindeer. Female reindeer grow antlers. Oh, interesting. It looks like, yeah. And sorry, it's caribou. Something about caribou came up in the autocomplete there, so maybe caribou do. Um, oh, maybe caribou is the same thing as a reindeer. That seems likely. <laughs> but there, yeah, there we go. Uh, so I'm going to say that for Urselk, uh, they all have antlers. Oh, it's the, like the 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 the, the um, juveniles have very small ones, um, like little nubs. Uh, but yeah, adult, mature Urselk. Um, have antlers of all sexes. Okay, cool, cool. That was an intriguing one. I was like, uh, I really wanted you to be all like, yeah, no, it's just a bear. The female is just literally a bear. <laughs> I feel like that that, that, that tickled me. Um, <laughs> we also from email, the, oh, but FYI, folks, this is going to be a super short show um, this month. Uh, just, it just everything's condensed this month. It's weird. Um, we have uh, also an email. We have Ian Riley uh, wrote in and... Uh, uh, submitted a flag for review in shit flag corner. We have not had shit flag corner in months, um, like many, many months. So I was very glad to see another terrible flag uh, come up and one that I did not know existed. I've never seen this one. It's not one of the stock crap flags out there. Um, this flag comes from uh, the city, the town, city maybe, of Placentia. Placentia, 
uh, California. And it is glorious. I hope this is actually real. It is glorious because it's uh, it's a rectangle, standard rectangle. It's got like a a, a beigey, yellowy background, and then the, on it is brown text that says Placencia, All American City, in all caps. It's like this brown on brown, like maximizing everything you shouldn't do with flags. And I think it is great. <laughs> Let no me design. Have a look at this. No design. Oh Who needs design? <laughs> oh dear. That's yeah. It's it's so it's so bad, and also so minimalist. It's it's like a. It's like a, a flag a Scandinavian city might have. Like it's very very understated and how dreadful it is <laughs> yeah exactly i mean it does placentia or let's just do a little quick uh quick google for this place right placentia there must, there must be something it's in orange county um oh the seal is awful as well um there must be something real quick that on on wikipedia that like leads me to believe that there some sort of symbology could be used surely we could see something to me, it, it looks kind of it looks very southwestern, doesn't it? With the colors, like it, it looks like a like a desert town, which it is not because it's in Orange County. Um, but look, it's it's practically on the sea. It looks yeah, it looks very cowboyish. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I don't see a lot happening in Placentia uh, through a tricks quick scan of Wikipedia. Um, so maybe they were like, God, nothing actually occurs here. So let's just go with the text on the brown field. But brown on brown, man. Like, I, that's just great. <laughs> and the font is boring. And it's all caps. And it's just, oh, it's so, it's so terrible. So yeah, Placentia, an all-American city. As- like, if it, if it was white on black, it would be, it could be like, like a hardcore brand or something. Placentia, all-American city! Um, <laughs> but the, the colors don't even give it that. No, it's just oh, it's I just, I have a hard time believing that this is actually real because like it's there's like zero effort, just like zero effort. Like there's zero civic pride in just kind of like ah, oh, just whack some text on the thing. What color? Ah, doesn't matter. Brown. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good anyhow thank you uh thank you ian uh ian riley for uh submitting the flag of placentia california uh the u.s keeping up its tradition of creating woeful flags um <laughs> that is oh my god what is that so we're now like eight minutes into recording that's literally all the follow-up i have efficient banging out the uh, banging out the, the the follow-up straight away the this this is this might be a very 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 short show oh dear okay all right oh i i, I have one thing that we could we could edit, edit in there actually that i just i just remembered that i, I heard of yesterday uh, sure go for it so do you remember uh ever before talking about the concept of uh ruritanian romance oh vaguely you need to recap it so um, the, t- the, the phrase comes from a book called The Prisoner of Zenda by Anthony Hope, which is a, v- a Victorian adventure novel. Mm-hmm. And it's set in the country of Ruritania, which is uh, a, a kingdom somewhere east of Dresden. So a, kind of a, a, a fictional Eastern European or Central European um, uh, nation. Mm-hmm. And you see these all over the place, like the, in... in Marvel Comics, uh, Doctor Doom is the the dictator of Latveria, for example, um, and uh, it's it's quite common to 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 create fictional analogs for countries or analogs for countries in in a certain region, um, and these are often called Ruritanias. Mm-hmm. Um, I was discussing this uh, yesterday with you know the art historian. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, they told me that one of the first examples of uh, Ruritania, of this kind of country um, in uh, in literature, is from uh, Prince Otto by the, the writer Robert Louis Stevenson. And do you know what that country was called? No. It was called Grunwald. No, really? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a story about Prince Otto of Grunwald. <laughs> That is brilliant. Okay, here's the thing that always needs to be asked. How is it spelt? 
because there are many spellings uh, of Grunewald and there's only one correct spelling and I have proprietary ownership of that spelling. Uh, I think it's G-R-U-N-E-W-A-L-D Sharpfus S umlaut. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, no, but it's actually G-R-U-N-E-W-A-L-D. I think so. Yeah, because I, I, I'm not confident on this, but something from my um, childhood memories uh, leads me to believe that I was once told by some family member that the spelling of our name, uh, G-R-U-N-E-W-A-L-D, is like the uncommon version of Grunewald. Because um, you get like G-R-U-N-W-A-L-D. Um, also, same thing with an additional E in there, but keeping the umlaut. Um, there's mm. a bunch of variations, but I think R one is relatively uncommon. So that's mad. Okay, that is that is that is that is great. I sometimes I'm like with my name. It's, it's really weird. Like because so it, for those people who don't speak German, it means green forest, like Greenwood, which is a really yeah. kind of like bog ordinary sort of name. Like it's not anything you know kind of out there it's a very standard sort of name but in the context of me you know growing up in ireland it was always like this exotic name and every so often i think of it and just like translate in my head and be like oh, my name is like mr greenwood and it just seems so like <laughs> like non like a non thing you know whereas grunwald has an air of like ooh, where did you get that name from exotic <laughs> exotic tell me about yourself sort of thing but no i'm actually just like edward greenwood which is Weird. <laughs> um, yeah, so we, we've we've uh, we've mentioned before famous literary Edgars, and now we've got a famous literary, or a, at least notable literary Grunewald as well. There's a notable Grunewald painter, as far as I know, because I think if you Google Grunewald, um, you get. Uh, yeah, a bunch of yeah, Matthias Grunewald, and this this Matthias Grunewald chap, he is G R U umlaut N E W A L D. Um, so there is, it's not like, and uh, as you'd expect with a name like Greenwood, it's not massively uncommon, you know. Um, but yeah. that's mad. That that is that is crazy. Um, yeah, nice tangent. <laughs> <laughs> Right, uh, shall we do some, shall we go into main topic? God, it feels so weird to just be talking for 10 minutes and then be all like, let's move on. Uh, but shall we move on? Let's move on. We have some world billing. We certainly do. What did you bill for us this month? Uh, a military treatise. Okay. A brief military treatise. Cool. So do you want to just fire ahead? Engagement of Urthani Vessels A treatise It is the responsibility of all engaged in offices of influence and command, whether pursuing martial or monetary ventures, to consider the possible conflicts and challenges that may arise should the circumstances of their ventures change or be changed. Any licensed prospector with acumen is prepared for their labourers to agitate, for trade between nations to be disrupted by conflict or weather, or for the whims of the market to turn and spoil their speculations. Any captain of vessels or troops has contingencies for ambush, for estrangement from command, or for mutiny. As such, this treatise is not to be considered an invitation to engage in conflict with the Urthani nation. Such action is prohibited by custom, by treaty, political wisdom, and economic convenience. However, as we have shown, Preparation for unforeseen circumstances is a necessary ingredient for success, and insights contained herein may prove applicable to diverse situations other than open conflict with Urthani traders. Tactical Concerns For commanders of aerial vessels, even the meanest patrol craft or corvette has a tactical advantage over any Urthani craft, possessing both superior manoeuvrability and force of arms. The typical arrangement of batteries on an Urthani vessel is intended primarily to repel boarding attempts or counter-attack against hostile forces on land and is rarely suited to target airborne aggressors. Urthani crews prefer to avoid conflict, and thus sources detailing their habits in combat are scarce. They apparently are willing to engage in combat when forced to, and demonstrate respectable valour, but lack the discipline and training found among company crews or marines. 
they will typically avoid engagement on solid land where possible, preferring to flee or defend from their vessels. They are likely to employ bandit tactics, using ambushes or rapid engagement and withdrawal. Strategic Concerns Earthani craft are sovereign entities, and any unprovoked assault on a single craft is considered an act of war against the entire nation. Thus, it is forbidden for any company vessel or officer to initiate the use of force against the Earthani. The Earthani present many strategic challenges as potential foes. They maintain sophisticated communications, travel according to sophisticated schedules, and typically travel in convoy. When at sea, Earthani vessels will remain in view of the shore. In all but the most dire situations, they will avoid waters deeper than eight lengths, due to the undetectable dangers presented by deeper seas. This makes it difficult to engage in opportunistic or limited conflict. Attempts at piracy are thus considered inadvisable, as it is unlikely that such effort, whether successful or not, will escape the notice of the wider Earthani nation. In the event of an open conflict between the company and the Earthani, it is advised that ground forces seize Earthani yards and warehouses in Abeski and company settlements as a first priority. Unfortunately, many groundsfolk view the Earthani as sympathetic, allied, or even as kin, particularly in larger cities where they may share much blood with the Earthani nation. Increasing security at company sites and seized Earthani properties will be necessary to prevent possible unrest amongst the groundsfolk. In cities outside company control, it can be assumed that municipal bailiffs and militia will control any resulting agitation. As always, maintaining positive relations with these authorities is essential for company business. Tamar Company, Military Commission Press. Cool. Um, yeah, give give us your thoughts before I launch into questions. Um, this you won't believe what the initial thought for this was. Um, Buzzfeed headline. What? Buzzfeed headline. You won't believe what the initial <laughs> thought for this was. World building. Uh, world building clickbait. Um. <clears throat> Yeah, there's just like one kind of throwaway line buried in here that actually is the genesis of this idea. Um, uh, I got thinking about <coughs> about um, how I've talked a lot about the the Abeski and the companies so far, and that their their thing is is air travel. Um, and I decided I'd write a little bit about the about the Irthani, um from the point of view of the of the Abeski. Um, about the Athani and how they operate, um, and I also realised I had the Athani um operating on the River Agba, and also on the in the region of Lansk, the the river that runs through Lansk. I'm not sure if I've named that, um, and they aren't connected at all, um, and the, they're separated. Those two regions are separated by the Usin Belt, and there there isn't any canal or anything going through there um, or at least I haven't said there is so I, I figured they, the Athani must have some capacity to, to travel at sea as well as by river um, but why would they mostly limit themselves to river and what would what would happen what would the what would it be like for them to, to stick to the shore and, and stuff like that and I thought how could I tell that and uh, a military document um, was is what came to mind how I would present that information in universe. Oh, so essentially you made like a world building error and this is you covering it up. Uh, I didn't make a world building error. I made a world building opportunity. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh God. Actually, yeah, your, your, um, your Buzzfeed headline was correct. Like, there's no way anyone would have guessed that that's the genesis of, of, of this, this piece. That's cool. I, and I haven't even I haven't even um said what the actual the, the 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 that particular kernel was, but anyway, I'll get to that at the end if if you don't bring it up. Oh, wait, so that that wasn't the kernel. The kernel wasn't well, the world-building opportunity. Um not no, that like something got me thinking about that. That that was like I I started like half a step in. Oh wow, okay. I'm definitely not going to get it, but there you go. Uh okay, let me go through some of my points then. 
Um, point number one. This has nothing to do with, with, with the world building at all. It's just fun. I love the way you say whim. <laughs> because I, I, I say whim. Did I say whim? <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you, you asked. Oh, I did, yeah. <laughs> you aspirated or whatever it is. Um, whim. Uh, and you do that uh, uh, not a lot, but you do it sometimes with W words. Like I've heard you say stuff like where before, like putting in the wh. Because there's a H there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you're, look, listen, there's a lot in the English orthography that's there that like we could w- willingly ignore. But like I don't say willingly that at all. Like, I say whim and where and all that sort of jazz um, and which. I don't say which. Um, and it's just it's just mad. It's just further craziness uh, with Hiberno English that we you know we grew up not. And geographically speaking, not that far from one another. Um, and we just speak totally different uh, dialects. And it's just nuts. <laughs> or we have different accents, not really a dialect. We have there, there's accents. no queer where you're from. There's no where, yeah, exactly. No, no queer. Where? Jesus Christ, Edgar. Queer. Oh, queer. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, there's no queer where I'm from. Um <laughs> But yeah, yeah, it's just it's just mad. Anyway, that like again, nothing to do with world building. It's just fun when you said for the whims of the mark, and I was like, oh, that's very cool. And <laughs> <laughs> hits the spot. Um, so yeah, uh, in your tactical concern section here, you say uh, for commanders of aerial vessels, even the meanest patrol vessel or corvette has a tactical advantage over any Orthani craft, possessing both superior maneuverability and force of arms. And then you go on a little bit to explain why there, there's a superiority there. Um, yeah. My question is: is this is this um, uh, wishful thinking? Uh, or is this like a statement of fact? Like, are they actually superior or they just think themselves superior? Oh, no, they actually are. They actually are superior. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess that was it, but I just thought I'd bring it up anyways. Uh, I mean, because they, they are in the air, um, so they're not bound by, say, a riverbank. Um, yeah. And they have, they have three dimensions to move in. Um, as opposed to being on a plane and bound by land. Well, I mean, um, four dimensions, but, you know. Who's, who counts time? Oh. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, similarly, you say they are apparently willing to engage in combat when forced to and demonstrate respectable valor, uh, but lack the discipline and training found among company crews and marines. Again, similar. Is this wishful thinking or is this a statement of fact? Um, that's a statement of fact. It's probably maybe not as true as is, as is, is believed here, but um, particularly with crews. But definitely with Marines, Marines are, they are troops. They are, that is their purpose. Their purpose is to, to fight. Um, crews are, their purpose is to crew the vessel. Um, but they, they, they fight as well. Um, whereas with Arthani crews, they are primarily traders. They will, they are willing to protect themselves and they're willing to protect their cargoes. Um, and they are reasonably good at it, but it's not their purpose. Because cool. uh, I, I I think this this aspect of like military world building is always uh, interesting if you uh, play on the sort of uh, perceived notions of one uh, race of people on another race of people. Um, like so, like throughout um, history, so many battles have been lost by the quote unquote like superior side because they've mm-hmm. just been all like we are superior, we don't need to worry about these inferior people, and then they get like crucified on the battlefield um, yeah. because of hubris and things like that. So I think it's always really fun to just be all like we're so dominant, and then like the subtext is you're actually not all that dominant. You're just really full of yourself. Uh, so I think that's a cool thing to lean into, uh, and it just made me it made me think of that. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's the unreliable narrator thing. It's the unreliable narrator thing, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Then under strategic occur- uh, concerns, you have Erthani craft are sovereign entities, and any <clears throat> unprovoked assault on a single craft is considered an act of war against the entire nation. I think you've talked about that before. That sort of concept that they have. Yes. Yeah. yeah. In the um, the the riot in Lansk. Um, I mentioned that the the patrol craft fight, kind of fired across the bows of the Athani craft, and that was like a quite a serious thing to do. It, it it wasn't actually an assault on the craft, but it was it was kind of threatening it. Well, but and it was threatening assault on the entire nation by extension. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Um, is that something you made up, or is that drawn from any real life precedent? Um, I'm not sure. Um, it's certainly not super original. Um. Whether it is, I can't say for sure whether that has existed before, but uh, I mean, like, I guess, like, 
piracy or you know um, privateering would only happen under a uh, a situation of war like if you're if spain and england are allies spanish privateers aren't going to uh raid english ships mm-hmm. unless they can get away with it um mm-hmm. and so on uh so it's just kind of an extension of that idea but for the Athani, like that that is that is their their primary thing is they they live on the ships um like they they don't have a homeland as such they don't have like their own um nation like physical nation they they are a waterborne nation yeah yeah i guess i think it's really cool i i don't i slightly disagree with you when you say it's not the most original thing in the world i think that's really original i really like Mm. that um it's really cool um further uh, i bet you i've missed the kernel already but hey um later on you say eight lengths you mentioned a measurement of uh, uh a measurement um did we talk about this before as well isn't it isn't it length is like the the height of like one person yeah a length is a tall person yeah and then tall people on this world are really tall because of low low yes. g yeah okay grand yeah um you also mentioned undetectable dangers presented by deeper seas uh yeah. is this oh is this the colonel can you put in like a, a bell ringing sound effect there ding <laughs> is that the colonel ding, 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 ding. yeah oh, okay okay well let me let me go on what i was uh what i thought about this um i uh, is this just like you know the open sea is dangerous, or is that there's like you know sea monsters and stuff, and they stay away from there? It is absolutely that there are sea monsters. Oh, nailed it, <laughs> nailed it. So can you? It is entirely that there are sea monsters. So did, um, so did you want to write a piece about sea monsters and then ended up writing a treatise instead? Kind of, yeah. Because <laughs> nice. um, I, I, I didn't want to be, like, super explicit about it. I just kind of wanted to leave it as a little hint. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, as I said, coming from the point of view of what the in-universe document would be, um, I thought about, like, what, what would the, the sea monsters mean? And I've already said that there's these this waterborne nation, um, but I've called them river traders. So... You know why? Why aren't they sea traders? Why? Why don't they sail? Mm. Um, and I think, oh yeah, there's been to be monsters in planetary romance, so sea monsters. Yeah, but also like that's that's fair and all, but also like there's a big difference in terms of like terrain, if you will, between a river and the open ocean. Like even without sea monsters, you can just be all like the open ocean is too dangerous and too remote, and we just look, Edgar. They're both wet. That's that's all I care about. Okay, <laughs> that's that's it. That's situ- case closed. No, no, you're you're right. You're right. Um, <clears throat> I was watching. I was watching Sea Spiracy last night. Have you watched that yet? I have not. It, it's it's well. I don't know. It comes across as being quite good. Um, but as with all of these documentaries, you're only been given like one side. Um, I still haven't watched Tiger King. So oh man, Tiger King's great. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, Anyhow, but the the reason why I bring this up is in Seaspiracy, there's this kind of really emotive section, um, really hits your heartstrings, where they're... Basically, the whole shtick is that it's about, um, like, First World Nations... overfishing in a very unregulated manner and it's decimating ecosystems and uh second and third world nation economies um mm-hmm. as well which is which i i'm i can get on board with because that seems on the face of it as someone who's completely uneducated about it i'm just like that makes sense uh, but there's there's this bit anyways in it where there's these two people from i think it's liberia and they're out in an open uh, face canoe like way out into the sea and like that's super dangerous in an open canoe to do that like with just two men um and the the question was posed like why is this occurring and it was because the uh, fishermen have been forced to go further and further out because like um the eu is like trawling um all of the near shore uh, fish and so they have to just be forced to move out. And I just it got me thinking of that, the whole idea that like you don't actually need to invent sea monsters to make the ocean just be a place that's like a place you don't go. Like left to their own mm. devices, none of those fishermen's fishermen would venture far out into the open ocean. Um and you know, I could see the Earthani being the same, just being all like, Yeah, the, the ocean's rough. Like we just don't go there because it's real rough. Uh but sea monsters is also a good excuse. <laughs> so can you can you say anything about the sea monsters or is this something we need to discover in a, a, a further text um it's something i'll need to think about a little bit more okay i i, I mean like i'm assuming 
krakens and that sort of thing. That sort of thing, yeah, but I don't want it to just be you know, exact exact rehashes of existing existing popular sea monsters. Oh, krakens um, with antlers. <laughs> <laughs> just everything with antlers. Yeah, uh, this is Antler Planet. Welcome to Antler Planet. <clears throat> do you know the genesis of the Kraken? Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, I've um, never looked into uh, that. Is it in the Bible? I'm pretty sure the, the Leviathan is in the Bible. I'm not sure if Kraken is. Let me check this real quick. Wikipedia. The fountain of all knowledge. Um, <laughs> Kraken. Uh, Bitcoin. Scandinavian folklore. <clears throat> okay. God, it, yeah. is, it is sad that you need to scroll all the way down to the Google search page to actually get to the Kraken Kraken. Uh, and everything above it is just a whole bunch of Bitcoin. Um that's mad. Why Bitcoin? Uh, I think Kraken is an exchange. Um, oh, it's just okay. the name of an exchange. Yeah, Kraken Companies, United States-based cryptocurrency exchange and bank founded in 2011. Um, do, you, do you have any, just, just completely unrelated, do you have any thoughts on crypto? The um, thing that you ever think about? Yeah, it seems quite like a bad idea. Hmm. The environmental impact of it is enormous, I think. So, um yeah, yeah, there's, uh, I was, oh, should I go into this digression? We'll be here for a while if I do. Uh, I'll just go for it. I'll cut it if it needs to be. Um, I was listening to, do you, do you know about the NFT stuff that's happened recently? Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> there was listening to some podcasts, um, like there was this one podcast, they were taking the, the piss out of NFTs, like they made their own NFTs and it was all, it was all a big joke and things like that. But they got on people from the crypto world to talk about things. And like, again, much like the documentary, it's kind of like you're only getting one very biased take, but it sounded kind of solid. Um, and like they, they voiced concerns about like the environmental effect of it. Um, and the person, the Bitcoin advocate was like, or the crypto advocate was like, yeah, there definitely is. Um, but like, you know, crypto is working its way uh, away from like this brute force mining and to like this, I don't know, voting system thing. I don't really understand it, but they're like, it's not like we will be mining forever. And then they also made the point that, you know, you have to also in, uh, factor in like um, costs uh, of like normal real currencies and like you know all the damage that's produced in maintaining like dollar supremacy and things like that and uh, I was kind of I was like that's that's kind of interesting like we don't think of the sort of like the human cost uh, in maintaining dollar supremacy um, we don't think of there being a cost of money at all really but like it's there is, you know, and I'm not saying that it, it's the same as like, you know, massive Bitcoin mining operations that are just like helping to kill the planet even quicker. But it's just it just gave me pause and think about it and be like, yeah, there is a there is a cost to everything and the cost to having the dollar be the standard. There is a cost in warfare uh, in that, you know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but it, it was it was quite interesting. And oh, I don't know, man, I've, I kind of I kind of think to myself that like it might be wise investing a little bit in Bitcoin. Um, I don't, I don't know. Like I, I had this thought after the crash back in 2016, was it? I think it was, there was a massive explosion and crash and was like, I just presumed Bitcoin was dead or crypto was dead at that point. But I had the thought of being all like, maybe I should get into it. And if I did, I would have been, would have made a heap of money out of it because if we just have seen, like currently we're, we're living through a massive uh, increase in value in Bitcoin. But then there's the grossness about like, this is just, you know, people making money on betting on how much money Bitcoin will make. And there's no actual, you know, nothing's actually created in the world. You know, it's just rampant speculation for the sake of speculation. Um, but yeah, it's it, man, it's a complicated one. And one that I think that is not, I don't know. I don't think it's as easy as just saying it's, it's, it's a lot of nonsense. I think there's there are some merits to it for sure. Um, I, I I think there are definitely um, hypothetical merits to it, but I, I think right now it's too computationally intense. Um, yeah. For for the 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 payoff isn't there. It's too too computationally in, intense to justify um, the the benefits of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. For sure. There's there's there, there's problems here, but I think the, the the at the at its core, it's a good idea. You know, like this decentralized. Um, system of money um that that is a good idea 
Um, yeah, uh, I, I, I could see that. Yeah, I could also see government stepping in real fast and shutting the whole operation down if it ever becomes too much of a threat. So there's also that volatility in the market as well. Like So uh, yeah, it's a complicated one. Anyhow, sorry, that's got nothing got to do with uh, Krakens with <laughs> antlers, but there we go. Um, man, I am glad I stumbled across that. That is, that is class. Uh, have you, th- those are my notes. Uh, have you got anything else to add? Um, do I have anything else to add? Uh, that's that's neat that you ended on the on the colonel. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm, I hope it, I'm just a skilled podcaster, you know. <laughs> I I hope it's uh, somewhat um, at least suggest like you you you. It's clear that there's at least a suggestion here that you can do it if you can get away with it. Mm. Um is is kind of the thing like you almost certainly won't but you know if you happen to find a vessel that's co- come off course by itself and is out of view of the of the of the land and it's it's in deeper waters it's been blown out into deeper waters then maybe take a punt on it mm. um it would be it is not what's being said here but it's not what's not being said yeah it's about the notes you don't play <laughs> yeah yeah it, Jazz warfare. Uh, yeah, um, no, no, hundred. That definitely comes across. Hundred percent. Okay, good, yeah. good, good. Um, I, I think that's everything. Um, oh, oh no, in the, in this last paragraph, you like the it's many groundsfolk view the Arthani as sympathetic, as sympathetic allied or even as kin. Um, and that was demonstrated in the Rydon Lands, where the Arthani attempted to to help evacuate people from the from the um the field where they were they were being attacked by the, the by the company troops um that that sort of sense of solidarity between Arthani and regular Earth, um Abeski ground folk is is definitely is definitely there um everything we've kind of read has been written by um privileged people within Abeski society Oh, that's interesting. Would we ever get documentation? Oh, from well, the- maybe not everything. There, there was the Agitators' Progress, which was written by agitators, um, but everything else has, has been. Yeah, I was about to say, would we get ever, would we get more from uh, non-privileged people? Uh, I would like to. Yeah, I'd like I'd like to write some more of that. That's interesting because um, that's an interesting sort of uh, dichotomy there. Because uh, if I try and think. Of like colonial times, like it, I could be wrong here, but it, the impression I get is it may not have been uncommon for the regular people in a, a colonial who living under a colonial power, as in like just say English people under uh, living under the uh, English Empire, the British Empire. Uh, I'm I'm assuming they would look at others they were colonizing um, with some degree of contempt because like everyone was racist back in the day. Um, it just seems. It seems kind of weird in this setup that you have like the Abeski privileged uh, section um, looking disfavorably on the Arthani, but then the groundsfolk, as you say, looking quite favorably. That's a, that's a really interesting sort of thing, you know, because you kind of expect all Abeski to just be all like, oh, they're savages. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. But that, that's I think that's quite interesting. I think it's quite good. I think that, that is that like, could we get the the seeds of a sort of like a populist rebellion here where they're just so fed up with the with the um, economic entities that control everything and they're all like, stop killing us or stop like hurting us people, us being fellow Obeski and these Arthani people and others. Um, there, there's definitely a, a, an element of that. Um, the They wouldn't, the the Arthani aren't d- direct uh, subjects of colonialism. Yeah, but like, um, but like, um, but, like economic colonialism, no. Yeah, yeah, they're they're, they're economically um, certainly in a, in a in a lesser position, um, but they they are more accessible for for groundsfolk um, because. They're there, and they they bring stuff from from upriver or downriver, and um, that could have traveled a long distance. Whereas the the trade of the companies is a little bit like a uh, harder to access. Mm. Um, and as I said, like they 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 share blood, especially like in in somewhere like Lansk, which is on a big city, then there will be intermingling between the populations. Mm-hmm. Um. And the idea of of nations isn't 
not quite like it w- was for for the, the era of colonialism on sure. Earth. So sure. the the identities aren't quite as um aren't, aren't quite uh, conceived of in the same way. Um, but yeah, I, I, it it is an interesting. I'm I'm, I'm glad I'm glad that you think that it, that it's an interesting kind of um uh difference. I think so. Um, I think so. Cheers. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well played, sir. Thank you. All right. Should we do some Edgar uh, stuff? Let's do some Edgar stuff. <laughs> okay, so uh, I made a video uh, called Coastal Landforms for Fantasy Mapping. Um, Bill, you've watched it. Uh, what do you think? I have watched it. I really enjoyed it. Really? Yeah. This video was, behind the scenes stuff here, was like the worst video I have ever uh, made in terms of production problems. It's just, it was late nothing worked uh i lost a whole bunch of data midway through making the video it was the most stressful most i was so bad and like the whole i had i had it built up in my head that it was just going to be a disaster and i'd publish it and people be like this is crap um so i'm glad that you didn't think it's crap and i'm glad as well that the commenters didn't think it was crap either but it was just it was it was a nightmare making this one man i'm really glad to see the back of it (laughs) <laughs> um, but yeah, do you have any thoughts? At, uh, I guess the, the the main thing I want to say is, at several points, I found myself repeating terms that you'd said in the video and going, "Oh fuck yeah!" Um, like logar. I have I have written down here in my notes logarithmic spiral beaches. Fuck yeah. Um, uh, drowned river valleys. Fuck yeah. Dendritic. Um. And then fringing reefs atolls. Fuck yeah. Um, now th- those are only three that I happened to write down, but I had the I had the reaction to many things. Tombolos and all like the sea caves and stuff. Man, that yeah, I got I got super hyped for that. Good, good. That that is yeah. that was the effect. Good, good. It was a very aesthetically pleasing video, and like n- not just for your for your lovely visuals, oh. um, and the the photos that you chose, not just for those reasons, um, but also just like a- as concepts, like uh, the coves and the sea caves. It's all it's all very aesthetic and very um, uh, adventurous. Uh, yeah. This is this is one of the points I want to bring up, uh, and I think it's a good segue into it. Um, both you and commenters kind of got the subtext of the video, which I think is really great. In that, um, like this is technically on the on on paper a sort of, I would say, fairly workmanlike rendition of kind of secondary school geography. Um, but the idea I have a point about that, but go on. Okay, but the idea about it is that uh, it's like let's quickly all learn where coves should go, where tombolos go, where all this crack goes, and then now that you're aware of these landforms, try and think about these landforms as story triggers and as things to create stuff. So like, you know, now you know where a cove goes, think about like, what can I do with a cove in in a story? Like I can do maybe like a secret pirate smuggling activities or, you know, now that you know where fjords go, like think about stories um, surrounding that. So loads of commenters were doing that. They're kind of like, oh, that's really cool. Drowned river valleys, that's dope. I can do X, Y, and Z with it. And that was really gratifying to see that people... Uh, think about that um because for the most part like you know it doesn't it affects fantasy mapping on the local scale but not on a global scale like you don't see you know sea caves and coves when doing a world map but it can really affect local stuff you know and it can i think it can be a really great narrative source like you can think of you know allegories for whatever cultural say conflict um you have set up in a world you can use physical structures as like allegory for that like you know i have some sort of like tides washing you know against the cliff can be an allegory for you know things coming and going or whatever so there's like it using physical landforms that we've all learned in secondary school geography and thinking about them in a fantastical way and a, a story trick way is what i was kind of going for as a subtext and i'm glad that people got that yeah no what was your point about secondary school geography um I had a flashback to junior search geography when you used the phrase longshore drift. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> all, all of a sudden, all of a sudden it was 2002 again and I was, I was in, in Miss Daly's class in Aska. <laughs> Miss Daly. 
<laughs> Shout out to Miss Daly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I thought as well that I, I'd receive some criticism about that as well. Be all like, hey, this is literally secondary school work. Like, what are you doing here? Um, but I didn't. No, that, that, that wasn't a criticism at all. <laughs> no, but I thought I thought others would. I thought others would be all like, I came here to learn about fantasy worlds, not to like redo um, like secondary school geography. But I, most people kind of got it and we're like yeah yeah we're here to just like recap where these things go and then we're going to start thinking about them in terms of fantasy yeah. world building so that was that was dope it was really good um i have a couple of questions sure um so let me just check the timestamp here make sure i get i get this right um oh god these ads are so stupid oh can i complain about the ads on youtube slightly yeah, please do. I, I know I set the videos to have ads, um, so I'm not complaining that that the video has ads. I, I'm I'm going to complain about like like non consensual ads, like ads that I don't have any control over. Um, mm. Those really annoy me. Like YouTube has a thing now where it's like double and triple stacking ads, like one after another in sequence. Yeah, and like there's no that as far as I can tell, there's no toggle I can switch to turn that nonsense off. And it's just YouTube's just like you're that's what's happening now. Like deal with it. And that really frustrates me because like I try and select ad types that aren't uh massively invasive. Like I, I try to tell YouTube don't put ad breaks, you know, where it cuts to a skippable or non-skippable ad in the middle of the yeah. video. Don't do that. Like that I don't want you to do that. Put it at the start or put it at the end. And I also ban uh, non-skippable ads because I think they can be gross, it's particularly when people like upload like a two-minute-long ad and it's not skippable. It's it's awful. Um, so I try and tailor it so that the experience is like okay for most people, and it really frustrates me then when YouTube goes, "Yeah, so I see all the settings you've done there, and like we don't care," and like that really annoys me. But Edgar. <laughs> You're being very selfish here. The number has to get bigger. The line has to go up. If you don't have ads, how will the line go up? Exactly. I think my conspiracy theory is that it, this is all a ploy. This sort of ad proliferation on YouTube is a ploy to get people to just get, get so frustrated with free YouTube that they'll buy premium. Because um, like YouTube's going to make a whole a whole bunch of bank on premium. Um and yeah, just make the free version as as awful as possible, and then everyone will move over. And I just think that's gross and awful. Like you should make premium so good that I can't refuse it, as opposed to making the free version so bad I have to refuse it. You know what I mean? It it works for Spotify. Uh, oh yeah, Spotify. Spot- fr- Spotify free. Uh, using it was so frustrating. Yeah, it was. I th- I remembered being almost like borderline unusable. Um, like I mean, I, I, maybe it's changed now. This is about six or seven years. Um, I I lost my card, so I had to cancel my card. So my my Spotify subscription w- stopped working um, until I got a new one. Um, so I had to, I was bumped back down to free, and like you couldn't pick specific tracks to listen to. Yeah, and it didn't play things in order. Which when you're trying to listen to classical music, you know, when you're trying to listen to like a symphony or an opera or something, the the order things happen in is. <laughs> pretty important <laughs> <laughs> yeah i remember that i think that was one of the reasons why this is one of the reasons why i don't use spotify because i tried to use it for free many years ago and was like this is total trash and i just don't use it um yeah, yeah and also i think spotify is pretty is pretty gross as a company but hey look like in tech yeah, land, they're, they're, all, they're all they're all gross like every single tech yeah. company is just massively gross and that's an unfortunate reality with the modern world um but uh, anyhow, how do we get on to that digression? <laughs> was I talking about before? Ad rant. Because I went to I went to check something in the video, and then it made me watch a watch uh, a silly ad, um, of a, uh, what looks like a very terrible game, um, and then I complained about ads, and that's how we got onto it. Okay, let me just check this here really quickly. It was about uh, barrier beaches. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you've got a barrier beach with a lagoon behind it. Mm-hmm. And then a storm breaches that that barrier breach. Mm-hmm. Bar- breaches that barrier beach. Um, is the water within no longer a lagoon because it's not separated from the from the open water? No, no, it's still a it's still a lagoon. Um, it's it's there. It still will have significant significant barring, and that makes the waters quieter and it's a lagoon. Okay, cool. Grand. It's um. It's only when the 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 barring is like significantly reduced that it loses its lagoony quality. 
So small breaches don't count, but when it's breached enough that it, it stops being kind of relatively still. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Fun fact as well, uh, barrier breaches move with time. I didn't include this in the video, but they can... Uh, they because of longshore drift? Uh, no, they... Uh, y- yes, yes, and all... Yes! <laughs> but, <laughs> Are you proud of me, Miss Daly? <laughs> but, but also, also they move uh, inward. So like barrier beaches are... Um, geologically speaking only really temporary structures um, because if you imagine like the wind particularly if the wind is blowing onshore the wind will like pick up sand from one end of the barrier beach like the seaward end and then like dump it on the landward end of it so it's just like the barrier beach will continuously progress into the shore and eventually disappear Oh, okay. Yeah, which is kind of, which is I always think is really fun considering that like we love to build stuff on barrier beaches uh, and all of it is like, you know, that we don't need to worry about it because it's a geological time frame, but it is fun to think about humans, uh, like prime real estate uh, is on this like temporary structure that like isn't going to be around forever. I think that's the really weird to think. Um, that was that question. Um, uh, I have a slightly tangential question about wetlands. Mm. So you, you talked a bit about the, the, the coastal wetlands, which uh, also enjoyed that very much. Um, but I have, a, I have a more general question about wetlands for you. Mm. So I've seen this this thing go around a few times now. I've seen it maybe three times. Um, uh, images explaining the, the meanings of different types of wetlands. You, you might have seen this. Um, so a bog or a mire is a wetland that's acidic, that is a pH of greater than 7. A fen is an alkaline wetland, a pH less than seven. A swamp is a wetland whose dominant vegetation is trees and woody plants. And a marsh is a wetland with other forms of vegetation mm-hmm. that are dominant. Um, and I've asked this a few times when I've seen it pop up, but I haven't gotten a, a reply. Do you know anything about these terms? Uh, no, outside of what you just said, no. Okay. It's not clear to me whether those are exclusive terms, because a bog has a pH greater than seven. So it's it's acidic and that's what makes it a bog. But it also it seems to have some degree of vegetation in it. So is a bog then also a marsh because the, the, the those plants aren't trees. That vegetation isn't trees. Or can you not have enough vegetation when it's when it's not neutral or something? This is this is a question I would like answered. Give me an answer, Edgar. I demand I demand explanations. Can the answer be I don't know? Yeah, that's that's uh, absolutely valid. Absolutely. Uh, valid. I I I don't. I, I honestly I I don't know. Uh, but yeah. get, But guessing. Uh, I part of me suspects that it falls into a lot of nomenclature things in this sort of sphere where it's just kind of like there's there's no real set meaning there it's like with, yeah. with bays like what's the difference between a bay and a sound and a gulf and the answer is uh, i don't know <laughs> like it, yeah. it, there's no real kind of like hardcore set sort of thing now it may well be that with wetlands it is in fact um there are in fact clear delineations between each um but i i, I don't know i suspect it's probably just like we use a whole bunch of random terms uh, in a haphazard sort of way yeah because it seems like there'd be overlap. Like, surely there are, there are plants that, that don't need perfect neutrality um, to to exist. And I mean, I, even in the photos here, I can see I can see vegetation in the picture of the bog and in the picture of the fan. Um, so... Yeah, it, it, thinking on more, though, like, from the textbooks I was reading, like, uh, with the wetlands, the definitions they gave in the textbooks were based on uh, vegetation and not on pH, uh, not on acidity. Um, mm. So it's just like, yeah, m- excuse me, sorry, swamps are like woody trees, uh, marshes are like shrubs and herbs and that sort of thing. And then I think bo- bogs are like mosses and that sort of crack. Um, okay. They define the based on vegetation with no mention of acidity whatsoever. But then again, I, if I was reading a book like exclusively on wetlands, there might be more detail on that. I was reading general geography books. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Okay, well, uh, thank you for, for indulging my digression. No worries. <laughs> um, uh, and I have one more question. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, rocky shores happen along active margins. Mm-hmm. And uh, sandy plain shores happen along passive margins. Mm-hmm. Um, what's a margin? Uh, like a tectonic uh, margin, like a plate boundary. Okay. 
So if you compare, if you think about the, the United States is a good example. The West Coast, I always get this mixed up for reasons I don't really understand. But the West Coast, that's on an active margin and you have loads of mountain building there. So you're going to have a ton of rocky coasts. Uh, whereas if on the West Coast, like in the... Um, Gulf area, um, that's nowhere near a margin, like because the nearest margin is the Mid Atlantic Ridge, um, right. and that's mostly dominated by coastal plains. Right. Okay. So that's just like that's very broad scale. You're talking very big picture there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Because obviously, obviously, you do have sandy beaches in the West Coast. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's about like yeah, what what be dominant overall. Okay, yeah. and like. What about places that don't have any tectonic nearby? That makes them... Oh, oh, so, sorry. So that makes them passive because they're not near a tectonic yeah, edge. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Gotcha, And, that, gotcha, and yeah, then okay. just to be clear, uh, that doesn't mean that, like, if, you know, if you have a, an, a small island in the middle of feckin' nowhere uh, with no margins around it at all, that doesn't mean that, that that island has to be exclusively, you know, beachy. Like, you can have cliffs and stuff like that as well. It just won't be the dominant feature. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. Um, I that is all of my notes. That is all of my notes. Yeah, no, really, really good video. Um, your your art was really nice in this one. Um, um, and great like choice of photographs and stuff made it made it a joy to watch. Cool. Um, yeah. That genuinely, I'm genuinely relieved to hear that because it was such yeah. a nightmare. It was so bad. Oh my god. Um, the, the the last point I have on it, um, and all of this again is going to be covered in follow up videos as well for people if they need uh, to, to hear it again. But the um, the one of the important things I think that people uh, along with the story triggers kind of copped was scale and I never really talked about scale and I probably should have talked about scale but most people got it that like a lot of these landforms only show up on small scale that's really important like you know don't be building a tombolo across an ocean like that's just not gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> like, so lots of lots of the stuff <laughs> The, the Florida to Venezuela land bridge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so lots of this stuff is only going to crop in if you uh, crop up if you make like small local maps, like, you know, coastal, if you have a coastal city, for example, you, you might see some spits showing up and things like that. Um, so it doesn't, it's, it's a very niche thing and it's not really generally applicable to the, you know, large scale mapping that we usually do. Um, but it does kick in at, at small scales and it's worth like, you know, thinking about it accurately and, you know, setting up correct you know, spits and all that sort of jazz. Um, so scale is very important here. Yeah. Cool. cool. All right. That's that. So Green Room, uh, Artifacting Book Club. I have a suggestion for the next book that uh, we should read. Do you want to hear it? Let's hear, let's hear it. So uh, the book is called Axiom's End and it's by Lindsay Ellis. Um, okay. The reason why I'm kind of breaking uh, the rules here for Artifacts in Book Club a little bit, but it's kind of, I think it's still thematically appropriate. Lindsay Ellis is a YouTuber. Now, it is rare that YouTubers write, like YouTubers write books all the time. And they're usually like uh, ghost written biographies or autobiographies, <laughs> whichever one the correct term is, I can never remember. Um, it's usually those. They're usually crap. They're usually not really worth your time. Um, so it's rare that a YouTuber writes a work of fiction. It's even rarer that they write a work of like genre fiction, so fantasy or sci-fi. And it's even rarer again that apparently this work of fiction is good. <laughs> so like I had a look. So the critic, the critics really like this book, um, and I think then we should give it a crack because it's written by a YouTuber. It's about like it's a sci-fi book. Um, and it is apparently decent. Now, it probably breaks some of the rules with regards to, like, you know, the, the whole, like, world building has to be extremely prominent in it. But I think for those aforementioned reasons, I think it'll be a good, fun thing to to read. Sure. Cool. Um, and it's also, it's all, it's available on audiobook for people who want to get it. It's narrated by Abigail Thorne from Philosophy Tube. So then again, it's further sort of like YouTubers getting together to create literature. Okay. So I think, I think it, it could be a fun experiment. So I'll leave links in the uh, show notes to all this sort of stuff, um, to the book, and people can pick it up if they want. And we will hopefully maybe next month um, review it. Um, 
And the other thing I was going to say is, yeah, going forward after that bill, I was wondering, this might be really boring for people, but like, I really want to read the rest of the Broken Earth series because it was just so good. Uh, could we maybe read the second and possibly third book going forward? Um, I have read the second one. Oh, um, is it good? Is it good? Yeah. It's <laughs> cool. Have you read the third one? No. I have not. Oh, brilliant. Not. Okay, well then, in fact, let's let's definitely say that the one after Axiom End is going to be the second book, because you've already read it, you've already done the work, that's that's perfect. Um, I will have to reread it, but yeah, okay. <laughs> right. oh, well, are you okay with that? Yeah. Okay, so Axiom End, and then we'll do the, the second installment. I'm sorry if people are kind of like, I don't want to hear about Broken Earth, but like, I, I as emphasized in the last show, it is so good. Like, it really had a very profound effect on me. Like, this is a great book, and I just want to finish the whole thing. Um, so, may as well do it on air. Make content out of everything. This is the YouTuber's philosophy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, that is... Jesus, that's it, man. That's all I have. (laughs) Um, Follow up. Uh, Follow up? That's at the start of the show. What are you doing? Yeah, follow up. Green Room. Sorry, Green Room. Um, Green Room. Uh, I was going to complain about Poldark uh, to Bill, uh, folks. But um, uh, Bill hasn't watched the crucial part of Cold Bo- uh, Poldark that I want to complain about. So a whole swad of this show has been cut. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys. Um, see, I, wa- I, want to, I want to finish reading it. I want to read ahead before I watch the next bit because I, I've, been, I've consistently been ahead on the show. And then um, I said, no, I want to actually... Because I read a few of the books, <gasps> but I was, I was behind. So I wanted to catch up. Wait, wait, um, wait. But hold on. Oh, that's interesting. So we 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 figured out off air that you you possibly are on season four of yeah. Poldark. Um, as far as I'm aware, you may need to fact check, fact check this. Season five is not related to the books. Really? Yeah, I th- I read this somewhere that season five is like because like there's there's a rake of books left. Where that at the end of season four? I distinctly remember. Hold on. Uh... Oh, lots of setting. Um, that's kind of what I wanted to complain about. <laughs> All right. Uh, hold on. Let me see. Um, you want to give me anything here? Okay, not that I can scan. Um, oh, season four, season two has the lowest ratings apparently. Of ten reviews. Okay, well then, you know, who cares? Um, yeah, I don't know. You'd have to fact fact check that, but if, for some reason, I remember reading that. Um. But what what you've watched so far and what you've read so far, what do you think? You you I think you're a Poldark fan, aren't you? Oh yeah, I love it. I love. It. <laughs> I just I my favorite part about the show is that uh, no spoilers here, folks. Don't worry about it. Um, is just the cliff pornography. It's great. Oh yeah, it's it's visually gorgeous. <laughs> it's just like any opportunity to show people like standing. And I don't just mean the cast. <laughs> yeah, um, the photography is gorgeous. Yeah, makes me want to really go to Cornwall. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But then I remember that Cornwall's in England and and uh, holidaying in uh, for the moment for, for the moment exactly. But holidaying in in Europe is can be quite expensive, particularly Northern Europe. Um, so you know you can go spend you know a week in Cornwall and for the same money you could like probably fly to Southeast Asia and live it up for like two weeks. Um, so there's always part. Do you of reckon? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my experience of Indonesia, man. Like, aside from the, the the flight's expensive, the flight is very expensive. But like, once once we were in Indonesia, it was just like I couldn't fathom how just how incredibly cheap it was. Like, we're talking like you know, like uh, there was one we went out one night for uh, a meal in a restaurant, and uh, it was something like a euro, the equivalent of a euro for like a course, like. It it was insane. Like you could you you could like I tried so hard to be all like let's spend more money. <laughs> you just you just can't like you just couldn't. And we and the final the final uh, final day in Indonesia we were like okay we have so much money left in the bank out of the budget let's go to like a really fancy schmancy restaurant and like really live it up like kings. And I think we were rid of like thirty euro in doing that. And this was like a fancy restaurant. Like this is, wow. you know, you'd spend, you might spend maybe a hundred in a, in an Irish restaurant. The equivalent was like 30 quid. It's just like, you can't, you, it's just so cheap. 
Um, Whereas I don't think that I, I, I don't know, but the, the yeah, the flights are the, are the major the major issue here. <laughs> yeah, it depends. It depends on where you would stay in Cornwall. Like I imagine, if you were to stay in a very scenic location in like a nice B and B or whatever, you could be rid of a whole bunch of money. Like you know, the way on t- on TV they have the um the what's that that uh, where B and Bs compete with one another. What's that called? Ah, uh, uh, come not come down with me. The other one. Oh, four in a bed. Do you know four in a bed? No, I've never heard of that. It's four B&B owners. Uh, they they each go and stay in each other's B&Bs and then they like rate each other and then whoever wins gets like uh, a thing saying that they won four in a bed. Um, and that's sometimes on here during the day and you look at the prices sometimes it's charged and it's like, oh, it's like 150 euro or sterling a night in this B&B and you're like, oh, and, you know, you stay there for two nights. Suddenly you kind of have, you know, the majority of a flight out to Southeast Asia. Hmm. I guess. I, I'm, I'm convinced of it. Like, you, you can rough it in hotel, in hostels and things like that. For sure. For sure. Like, it is, there is possible to do it cheap. But, like, uh, I was I was profound at the, the, the level of cheapness in, in Southeast Asia for me. Like, it was just kind of like, wow, this is this is insane. I, and if, to the point where I felt rich, it was mad, man. I was kind of like, I now have so much money. Like, I, you know, I didn't have a lot of money, but it was like, it felt like so much money. It's like, this must be how rich people feel. Where you, <laughs> where you can just, you can just, per, like, you can just go through the world and you don't have to worry about money because it's just like, you can afford everything. It's fine. It's weird. It's such a weird sensation. Yeah, I don't think I'd like that. Uh, you what? I don't think I'd like that. Uh, I think it, it has a corrupting influence. I think if you lived long enough like that, you'd you'd become a real douche real fast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even the, someone with the best of intentions may not survive it. Um, yeah. Uh, that's the show. That's the show. Uh, I'm sorry if it's a short one, folks. I, I hope I, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, do let us know if if you if you don't like these short ones, and we will we won't pad it out just for the sake of it, but we will you know um, uh, find some sort of you know nice way of making it longer. If you do want a longer show, um, I'll go back to the three page world billing just to. <laughs> Bill writes a book every month. Um, yeah, anyway, so that's the show. Thank you so much for listening, folks. Uh, thank you for being in the chat. Hi, chat. Um, <laughs> thank Cheers, you. guys. I enjoyed it. Thank you for supporting the show uh, on Patreon. Links in the description to that. And we will see you next month uh, for some more Out of Frexing podcast. Until next time. Edgar, Edgar out. out.